0: Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Market Show. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle, joined today by Megan Boxall. How are you doing, Megan?
1: I'm very well, thank you.
0: Thanks again. Yeah, you were here last week, weren't you? Yes, time time is Time is weird at the moment. It's the clocks, isn't it?
1: (laughs) One hour, it really throws you off.
0: Well, it it does, in fact. Um, We'll come back to that. And uh, James Norrington, how are you doing, James? I'm very well, thank you. Excellent. And you have written our tremendous cover feature this week on The Fangs. And uh, it's very timely indeed. Mm, Very timely. The reason I mention clocks is because we are recording a day early because of Easter and an hour later because of uh, daylight savings. Is it
1: an hour later? But an hour earlier because it's one o'clock, not two o'clock.
0: Oh God, it does my brain (laughs) in. This is called sleep desynchronosis and it apparently has an effect on stock markets.
1: Really? That's interesting.
0: Indeed. Motor accidents increase when clocks change. People get weird and sleepy and tetchy and Mm. emotional and uh, seriously academically recorded phenomenon in relation to the stock markets and the advice is just don't bother doing anything for the day after the clocks change.
1: Well, that's really interesting. Indeed, wow.
0: indeed it is. Indeed it is. it is. So we're all kind of struggling through a busy week, uh, a shortened week and, and suffering from clock changes uh, and also uh, getting rather rather antsy at the state of the markets. And we'll, we'll be joined by Simon Thompson shortly. He's going to talk about some of his updates. But let's, let's just crack straight in to the cover feature, which is uh, Fear the Fangs. We've talked about the fangs quite a lot recently. Uh, there's been a lot going on, particularly around Facebook and the uh, Cambridge Analytica scandal. But we, we've kind of taken this a step further because we, we're kind of worried about the broader repercussions of the, the, the tech sell-off. And that's continued at pace today, hasn't it, Megan?
1: It really has, yeah. As I came down to the podcast studio, Netflix was down 6%. Facebook, Amazon, Google all down 5 And Apple down 3 So people are not happy about Fangs uh, today and they haven't been for a, for a few weeks. And yeah, that's what we, we explored in the in the future this week, um, whether or not that sell-off can have wider implications on the whole market.
0: So so let's talk about the the kind of broader environment for fangs. Just going quickly over again, the the kind of regulatory backdrop that's raising the concerns about what the future has in store for these companies.
1: Yeah, so it's an argument that isn't exactly new. People have been talking about the fact that these companies need to be regulated for a long time. Um, Last year, the Yale Law Journal put out a review called the Amazon Antitrust Paradox, which was... There was a really long piece about how Amazon needs to be needs to be regulated because it has managed to avoid current antitrust laws. It hasn't breached them, but it's just been able to grow at its current pace without really batting it at the eyelids of the regulators. And it's become an enormous
0: company. And so how has it done this?
1: It's done it because its growth has been largely organic. So it hasn't it's really apart from wholefield Whole Foods last year it's refrained from any mega mergers it's grown into new markets into different verticals um and it's it's dominated those markets but because it's done them sensibly and and not it, it's not like been sudden we haven't it's not like amazon arrived yesterday via the creation of the merging of two huge companies it's done it almost all on its own and and the current antitrust laws they look after the consumer wallet rather than rather than what amazon's doing the market dominance so it has avoided the the regulation that people are now saying it probably should have had a while ago
0: and one of the reasons that you touch on in the in the feature uh and that it's touched on in more detail in this report that you mentioned is that in fact for the from a consumer perspective amazon looks really good it's it's you know offered lower prices in in, in many of the markets that it's uh that it's entered
1: yeah exactly and it, it's it has been good. Like everyone loves Amazon, everyone uses Amazon. Well, they don't
0: love Amazon, but they use it. I was,
1: yeah, <laughs> but then I know your argument is in the music business and how Amazon has sort of completely. Battered that industry. It's now well in terms of, in terms of, of the, in terms of
0: the retailing. The, re- yeah. in of the companies like HMV will you know our price etc. No longer exists yeah. essentially. It's certainly not in the way that they used to. There mm. is an HMV stood in Chelmsford. here. Is there? It? <laughs> yeah, it's really good. I really like mm. it. But it's a different company than the one. But we it's use.
1: true, isn't it? I went into a bookshop the other day um on Cheapside. Haven't been into a bookshop for a while because I I buy all my books on Amazon. And I had a really good time browsing through the books. And you think, oh, we you haven't you haven't done this for a while because. It is more unique now to find an actual physical store for, for books and music because Amazon has completely dominated that market. Now that they dominate it, there aren't really any competitors. They are starting to raise the price again of books and, and music and, and these industries that it, it controls.
0: Is, is this what they call predatory pricing then? So they basically come into a vertical, offer really low prices that attracts all of the customers. The, 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 right, the high street rivals can't compete. And then once the rivals are gone, prices go up again. Yeah, exactly. And this, this is the big problem.
1: Yeah, and it seems that's what Amazon has done. Um, but that still isn't really breaching antitrust laws at the as they stand at the moment, because compu- con- consumers are still getting the best price from Amazon. So they're saying that maybe there needs to be a change in the way um, competition is regulated because of what Amazon's been able to do.
0: bit late, but there you go. <laughs> Never mind. So, so, so the concern around Amazon is that so this is a huge company. It's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. It's incredibly powerful, but it's got a lot to live up to in terms of the valuation. And I guess this is the big worry around all of the fangs at the moment, that the valuations being demanded of them, uh, to varying degrees, uh, suggests a sort of perfect execution, uh, growth, uh, you know, almost ad infinitum. Exactly. Amazon in particular. Is Amazon very in expensive.
1: particular. <laughs> I think it's 193 times forward earnings at the moment. That's crazy. You're betting on so many years of profitable growth, and and under the current regulation, yeah, maybe it could do that. But the concern here now is that if the regulation does change, not only for Amazon, for Facebook and Google as well. Um, they will not be able to sustain that growth that they have for the last few years. And those valuations will be completely ridiculous, and they're going to have to come down. And that is why we're starting to see um, the share prices of these companies, the biggest companies in the world, take a bit of a tumble.
0: Okay, so the other the other really expensive... Netflix is really expensive. Yeah, Netflix oh, on is a, on a forward, forward PE ratio.
1: Netflix has got a bit, bit of a different issue, though. It's operating in a market which is already so competitive. And... I mean, the valuation has become crazy. It's almost been swept up in this fang mania. It is the end of the fangs, and people are really excited by it. But actually, it's it's got a big challenge on its hands to sustain that growth because it's competing with Amazon. It's competing with companies like Disney and Fox and companies which have a really long track record of producing excellent films. Um, and can it sustain it? It's going to have to spend an awful lot of money to compete with those companies, which are really cash-profitable Um, And the argument is that it may not be able to do so. So
0: so perhaps the worry around Netflix is not so much around regulation, but around competition. Yeah. That that, that actually, having had this sort of first mover approach in terms of video streaming, um, big rivals with deep pockets are moving into that space and catching up fast.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so this is what the kind of problem is with looking at the fangs as a whole. They all are facing very, very different problems. So Amazon's got the fact it may not be able to grow so fast or as fast as its valuation suggests, Netflix has got competition. And Google and Facebook, they're facing this whole other problem around regulation of data, which has come to light since the Cambridge Analytica scandal in the last few weeks.
0: And, and in, in some respects, antitrust, traditional antitrust type yeah. type con- concerns around their dominance of the advertising
1: market. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Um, I mean, Apple's an interesting one. You mentioned when we talked about the, the share price falls today, Apple seems to have fallen slightly less than yeah. the others. And I think this is quite interesting because Apple is a... You know, it's in the fangs, if you pronounce it in a rather unusual way, but it's it's a product company, really.
1: Yeah, it is a product company, and it's it does what it does very well. It has got competition, so it, it's not really going to be in that whole antitrust that has dominance in the market problem. It doesn't have really dominance in the market in terms of its products. There are so many other mobile phone companies. Is a different beast altogether.
0: Not valued anywhere near as aggressively as some of the other companies. Not at all. Either.
1: It's actually quite cheap if you take the cash into account. So maybe Apple won't be facing the same problems as the others will. But its problem is the tax. It, it has managed to avoid paying taxes for a very long time, and that has
0: well, it has paid taxes, but perhaps not to the extent that, <laughs> that some people would have liked it to. Given, <laughs> given its size and and the amount of profit yeah. it makes,
1: yeah, exactly. So. If there is a change in the tax laws, which we've already seen in the US, and it does end up having to pay a bit more into government wallets, then it might not be as profitable in the future as it has been. And again, that would have impacted the valuation.
0: Okay, so let's move on, which is why James is here. So this was a joint effort, this feature, and you've looked at the, the concerns around growth and valuation, Megan. So not everybody, not all investors will hold these companies, certainly not in the UK. But many do, but certainly not all of them. James, we are worried that what's happening with the fangs can have some knock-on effects for the market as a whole.
2: Well, it's particularly so. Anybody who holds an S and P 500 tracker um, is going to have a 12% uh, stake of that investment in the in the fang stocks because that's the proportion by market cap that they make up of of the S and P 500 index. The issue that we've examined in the feature is is to what extent active selling of of fang stocks could make passive investors, which you know, if if the S and P 500 index is dragged down as a, as a sell off of these large companies will do, if it could make passive investors exit the market via their ETFs and uh, and then would would then that have a feedback loop in in more selling of stocks and and systemic risk for. The market. Do,
0: do you think investors really fully understand quite how much exposure they have to, to this, this very concentrated group of companies, if they are in, indeed invested in, say, a US tracker?
2: Well, people will know that Apple's the largest company in the world, and uh, and they will know that so obviously they're investing in a market capitalized weighted index. I think that possibly where people don't understand is we talk about sort of some of the, the stra- stretched valuation multiples. I um, mean, some of that is because uh, people are betting on a lot of growth in the future, but, but some of it is purely because of their size um, that, in terms of inflows of passive investments, the stock prices uh, of, of these larger companies um, are, are getting more expensive because, you know, they as the the bigger companies get the higher allocation in a a passive investment um, and therefore the demand for their stock goes up. So there is a a natural or maybe an unnatural um, support for their share price or or increases multiples.
0: So so in in essence what you're saying is they they continue to be bought up just because they're big. Because they're big, yeah, exactly. Um, And and the problem is that could reverse. So so our worry is that if they are sold down by active investors – passives will have to sell them as well or certainly there will be a kind of related effect in terms of the passive demand and the the same effect could work in reverse.
2: It, it's because the, these stocks are, are big enough to to move the market if they're sold together, which is the with, with the, they're ch- chucked in together under an acronym. Fang. If everyone says I'm selling out of tech, emotionally people remember the dot com boom. Um, if everybody sells out of tech stocks, they they treat them all the same. They don't look at the differences in the business models as as, as Megan's tried to out- outline. They should. Um, then this will have an effect on markets. And then and the one thing that in passive investing in markets people can hold markets the way they used to hold stocks and they might sell out of markets now that the potential is a feedback loop that hasn't come to pass yet but it's a risk and it's it's one that the industry hasn't really the passive industry hasn't really sort of answered um you know uh, addressed
0: yeah because we i mean we have been trying to get to the bottom of this you know what 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 is the risk here with this this kind of very concentrated exposure to these very large companies and we haven't really got any really convincing answers we've had some answers but but they seem to be you know essentially towing a party line yeah i mean it's a lot of
2: people are making a lot of money um you know from exchanges from index providers uh asset managers um so so there's it's not really in anybody's uh hasn't been anybody's interest to really question this with any great rigor
0: but i would say it's certainly in all investors interest to start asking these questions now so, so really we, we, what we are calling for is Please, please give us some explanation about the kind of what, what, what in some respects is almost like a black box. It is. I mean, the providers
2: will rightly point to, um, so ETF providers will rightly point to the fact that that a, the, a lot of the trading, the volumes that, that go into ETFs are done on the secondary market in ETF shares. So, it's only when uh, ETF shares are retired or new. ETF shares are are created that there's underlying trading in the security. So on a day-to-day basis, it can be overstated the effect it has on on prices of it, on volatility of individual stocks, stock pricing. But what it does undeniably, a lot of capital is tied up in the underlying funds now. and, And that will affect the free float uh, yeah. of what's available and, and that in turn will, will affect the demand to, to buy and sell shares which, which has an impact on their price uh, so, in the long so, term so
0: we've got a figure here the, the, the combined market capitalization of just the five fang stocks is three trillion mm. I mean that's, that's a huge number yeah and then of course you've got a lot of other tech companies which account for another significant proportion yeah. of the index
1: and they're the companies which are also facing the same sort of regulatory backlash as these five fang stocks are so, so who are Twitter and Snapchat and Dropbox listed last week and did very well. But it's the same problems that they're looking at. We need to be protecting people's data better. So can these valuations be sustained? Maybe not.
0: Yeah, and, it, and of course you've got Tesla as well, which mm. uh, which is sold off today, Yeah. I understand as well. Tesla, which is in the FANG plus, NYSE FANG Plus Index. I think it's the CME that, that have put that, that together. Mm-hmm. Um, who else have you got in there? I can't remember. Microsoft
1: but, is sometimes bundled in there too. Um, and that's another one, which is relying a lot on its data services at the moment. It, it, that's the most profitable part of its business in the same way that Amazon's profitable part of its business is its web services. There's right. a lot of these companies valuing data.
0: And my, Microsoft is an interesting company to talk about in this context because it has been through this in terms exactly. of the regulatory uh, backlash before it's
1: quite a nice example of a company that has gone through that that what the company is going through now and has come out the other side and is still an incredibly impressive business so actually there's the argument for if the market does fall or the the fang market falls as a whole there's not might be an opportunity for Sensible stock pickers to to take the ones that they like out of those five fang stocks, or however many there are in the fang plus. Um, and for that, we do look at Apple and think, yeah, it's a slightly different company. It's a product business. It's it's a quality company. It makes a huge amount of cash. So maybe if the markets do start to tumble, Apple an opportunity to pick up Apple on the cheap would would be there.
0: Indeed. So uh, we are fairly circumspect in how we're approaching this. Uh, yeah,
1: but uh, it is definitely a worry. I mean. If you are going to be sensationalist, you could definitely make, make a big story out of this. I got very carried away writing this. James had to calm me down.
3: It's
0: it's, it's, it's exciting. Yeah, it it's, is. It's emotional, mm. especially on a Monday after the clocks have changed. <laughs> 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 okay, interesting. Let's quickly, Megan, talk about some of the results and news that that have cropped up this week, not least today's news that Shire is on the end of a takeover approach.
1: Yes, yeah, um... Yeah, it's interesting. People have been talking about Shire being a takeover target for a long time because it has done very, very badly in the last few years. Share prices tanked. But Takeda, which is the Japanese company which has suggested it has been interested in Shire's assets, is a bit of a surprise. Takeda has avoided mega mergers. It's a very conservative company. It grows mainly through organic. Means, um, Shire is the exact opposite to that. It made this massive takeover last year. It's still trying to integrate that. It's still trying to integrate takeovers it's done in the past.
0: Yeah, it's
1: Yeah, Baxalta was the one it made last year and it spent $32 billion on it. And that's why investors are really worried because it had to take out a load of debt. The integration isn't going as smoothly as they expected. And Shire is a bulk up through mega merger kind of company and Takeda is not that. So people are saying don't get too excited about it because actually, it looks like this deal may not come off, but, but the, share shares are, price, the shares yeah. People have got quite excited It was up about, about
0: 20%. Someone's tried to buy a share before, haven't they? It? it was uh, AbbVie a few years back.
1: Yeah. And, and uh, it came to nothing. It came to nothing. That was at a time where there were quite a lot of pharma mergers going on and, and some came off and some didn't. But it's the same sort of thing happening now. I mean, we've seen GSK this week buy the rest of its joint venture from Novartis. Pfizer is trying to sell part of its business. There's, there's lots of M&A going on in big pharma at the moment.
0: And, and actually, I, I saw uh, an analysis of this this trend towards consolidation in pharmaceuticals as actually re- relating back to the tech, techies as well. Amazon is getting involved in healthcare, mm. and, and people are suggesting that, that this, this is some, something to do with this wave of consolidation we're now seeing.
1: Yeah, so people are panicking about the Amazon effect, because everyone always panics about the Amazon effect. it in healthcare, when it joined up with Warren Buffett and JP Morgan last year to provide potential healthcare services only to its own employers, but it was sort of seen as a platform that Amazon could eventually get into healthcare. There's been all sorts of speculation that companies need to stack up to to take on Amazon if it does ever make a big move into healthcare. CVS and Aetna, which are an insurance and a, a drugs delivery company in the US, they're in the process of merging as well. It is. It's all. it's all comes back to Amazon. You're
0: going to be busy doing the takeover page, which you look after, as well as the podcasts. And uh, yeah. there has been quite a lot of activity coming through there. Mm. Yes, there it uh, has. Extremely exciting. Extremely exciting. Let's uh, let's quickly look at the results uh, before we go over to Simon Thompson. Uh, there's one in particular I wanted to talk about, which was UGov, mm. um, which kind of nicely ties in the uh, the personal data angle that we've been discussing with Facebook. UGov deals in personal data. Yeah, but isn't suffering the same degree of uh, scepticism towards its business model that these, these very large companies have because it's doing it in a slightly different way.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think we said this last week, YouGov doesn't pretend that it doesn't make money from data. It That's exactly what its business model is. And it's I spoke to a chief executive this week and he said, actually, the clampdown on data protection is a massive opportunity for us because we look after people's data properly. The bigger the regulatory environment the more value there is in personal data, and UGov has got so much data, and it's an incredibly value, valuable company because of that. And the growth potential is huge. I, I, I'm really, I really like UGov. I really like the opportunity that it, that it has. Um, its margins are expanding enormously because it's doing a lot more um, in advertising, in um, in making people's brands brand awareness better. Um, it's almost taking on. Advertising agencies in that respect as well. It's uh, it's almost like a a new version of an ad agency.
0: Well, I mean, you've written about those those recently. Some of the big yeah, they're big, really big, struggling. They're struggling.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it is because companies like YouGov are just they're, they're better. They're they're more modern. Um, YouGov won a contract recently that used to be owned by Kantar, which is a WPP company, because YouGov's brand index, where it gets people to rate how. How valuable they see different brands is a better model, and it's got more data, and it, it, yeah, it just provides customers with a better. Can't service.
0: believe, can't believe no one's bought it yet. What you got? Yeah,
1: yeah. I, 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 I don't know why. I think it's a prime takeover target, and it's not even that expensive.
0: Well, you say that. Well, not for a tech company. Twenty-five times forecast earnings. Mm. That, that kind of puts it in the same category of valuation as, say, Facebook. Yeah, I suppose so. But I guess there's fewer question marks over the, the yeah. growth potential yeah.
1: here. Yeah. I'm no, okay. I'm a fan of you we
0: We've okay. got it on a bite it. Okay, fantastic. Shall we uh shall we head over to uh to the shores of Kent? Hello Simon, how are you doing?
3: I I'm doing well. Incredibly busy like yourself, John. It, I've covered it, um I, I think six results in the magazine this week. Working on another twelve for Tuesday and Wednesday next week. I've just come off the phone to two companies that um I'm going to be writing up for Tuesday. Incredibly interesting companies. So that's that's something to look out for. But um, for, for this week, um, there's, there's two companies I'd like to focus on. Um, one of which is we've talked about this before. Satellite Solutions Worldwide, mm. um, satellite internet service provider. It's actually now the fourth largest independent one in the world. It's um, been building up with acquisitions. 18 bolt-on acquisitions in the last two and a half years. Cost about 33 million pounds cash for those. At acquisition, it brought in about 79,000 customers. Its customer base now is 100,000, so that gives you some idea of the organic growth. Last year, it generated like for like sales of just under 13%. Um, I grilled the directors, Andrew Walwyn, chief executive, and Frank Waters, uh, finance director, and uh, they're maintaining that growth into this year. Um, it's basically increased its cash profits, it quadrupled them last year. Uh, 4.6 million cash profit sales of about £44 million. Pounds. But what's really interesting at the moment is that it's just signed a deal um, with a joint venture uh, with the European... Um, sorry, it's just signed a deal for a joint venture between Viasat, which is a 3.6 billion company, um, to basically roll out a retail consumer broadband business across Europe. And they've chosen Satellite Solutions Worldwide as their their reseller to actually do this. Um, The company will uh, provide sales, installation, billing, customer care and logistics, whereas the joint venture will cover all the marketing supports, um, network capacity, um, the equipment, which is, you know, 600 to €800 for the equipment alone. Um, And what this is going to enable satellite solutions worldwide to do is actually grow much faster and into new markets that previously it would have been impossible to actually enter. It's already... um, started up operations with this joint venture in Poland and Norway, it's about to roll out into Spain. And I've just been looking at Ofcom statistics for Spain. They've got 500,000 homes there with download speeds of less than 10 megabytes per second, 2.2 million with speeds between 10 megabytes and 30 megabytes per second. Well, this joint venture is going to offer these people 50 megabytes per second. Very competitive prices as well, and as I said, it's going to cover all the startup costs. The margin that Satellite Solutions, I got this on the finance director, is going to make on these uh, sales for this joint venture is 25%. Its normal margin is 35% gross margin. But the point is that they think, both directors, that um, the business that's going to be generated from this joint venture is going to lift their, fair, um, their subscriber base from 100,000 to 125,000 over the next couple of years factor in life-flight life, life growth and the existing subscriber base and you're looking at a company that could have realistically 150,000 subscribers within two years and given the operational gearing of the business and I've been crunching through the numbers again with the finance director on this a business that's making cash profits of 4.6 million pounds and 44 million pounds worth of sales for the year just ended could actually double its cash profits by 2020 on just a 19 million pound increase in sales. So,
0: so, where does this sort of where does this sort of sit in the te- in the telecoms landscape? So, you know, m- most of us have a, a broadband provided by, you know, it's kind of either an incumbent like BT or or a, you know a, a challenger like Sky. Um, who, who is it selling to?
3: It sells to well, it sells to businesses for starters who wants um, a decent connection at a decent speed. Um, it's got broadband UK, which is the government's. Um, Pango that basically tries to um, improve broadband connections for the whole of the uh, UK, so it feeds into those for local authorities, um, but also private individuals. So if you're, you know, out in Cornwall or in certain parts of Scotland where you know fixed broadband connection is rather either slow or non-existent, um, this is ideal, and it's not that expensive. I mean, you know, the average revenue per user is just over 40 pounds. Um, they're making a 35% gross margin on that. Um,
0: 40 pounds per uh, month.
3: Must three be three pounds to three pounds fifty a month. Uh, sorry, sorry, sorry. That, that's um, sorry. Start again. Um, their average revenue per user is uh, 42 pounds uh, per month, 500 pounds per year. They make a 35% gross margin off that. It may it may seem expensive, but if you don't have much choice for your broadband that's actually quite a good deal
0: doesn't seem uh, that expensive to me i'm a bt customer
3: <laughs> <laughs> well I, I pay i mean to give you some idea just for infinity for bt i pay 31 pounds a month um so if someone's going to guarantee even quicker um internet connection uh, no disruption to my service i quite happily pay the extra 10 pounds um the, the, the other thing is that um the acquisitions they've been making, I, I went through with the finance director on this quite, quite closely. Um, they made seven last year. They contributed about £800,000 of cash profits. Um, for this year, they're expecting £1.7 million pounds worth of cash profits. They only paid £8.5 million pounds for those seven acquisitions. So that's a multiple of five times cash profits within a year. So they've actually got a decent track record of buying acquisitions well, taking costs out, moving customers over to their platform which has actually has been tested to um, take on a million customers by the way so for the joint venture there's there's no issues about capacity in terms of their billing systems Um, but you can easily see how cash profits for this business can build up very very quickly and i mean the directors were very positive i put the readers in a couple of years ago five and a half pence the share price now is like eight and a half pence um, I feel an enterprise value to cash profit, cash profit multiple of 10 times is fair. That suggests about 30% share price upside.
0: Okay. No, 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 it sounds like a very, very interesting story. Um, what was the second company you wanted to uh, talk about, Simon?
3: Um, I had Dr. Stephen Powell, Chief Executive of AIM Traded Cambridge Cognitions. We, we've talked about this one before. It's a company that's developed a suite of computer-based cognitive assessments to improve the understanding and diagnosis of psychological diseases like um, Alzheimer's, depression, schizophrenia. I had him on the phone from the east coast of um, the U.S. at about 4 o'clock in the morning, his time, I think it was. Um, It was well worth making the call. Um, Two things about this. It, it It reported a very small loss in the 2017 financial year. That was only because two contracts were delayed, pushed back into this year, that those contra- contracts were worth £2.3 million. Well, the first thing is that the first one has just started. We had an announcement the day after the results. But the other thing is the sales pipeline, the sales order pipeline was up by about 58% year on year. And according to Dr. Powell, is worth a multiple of FinCAT's current year revenue forecast of £7.9 million. He says it's never, ever been stronger than it is at the moment. And looking at how revenues are going to build this year, it did about 6.7 million sterling revenues in 2017. Well, it's got this collaboration with U.S.-based akido Pharmaceuticals, under which it monitors and assesses um, cognitive function in patients with depression, using an eye watch. Well, that collaboration generated sales of £590,000 out of that £6.7 million in 2017. And Dr Parkin feared doubling year-on-year
0: no, absolutely. I mean, it's a fascinating trend, the kind of tech-enabled delivery of, uh, of healthcare and, 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 you know, uh, drug development. So it's, it's certainly something that we've, we've touched on before. Uh, definitely be keeping an eye on that one. Um, thank you, Simon. I know you're incredibly busy. So, uh, so I'll, uh, I'll let you get back to the word processor and, uh, we'll speak again next
3: week. <laughs> well, and you, you have a good weekend. Yeah,
0: you too, Simon. Thank you very much. Okay. Cheers. Okay. Uh, so. Lots more in the magazine this week. Uh, we've only touched on a very, very small segment of it. The um, secondary feature has been written by by Philip Bryland, um, and it's it's about measuring. Uh, portfolio performance it's it's something that you know it seems obvious but 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 actually the techniques for doing it are often forgotten so definitely worth a look there lots and lots of results we're kind of winding down uh, a bit now th- thank goodness uh, as we go into easter but uh, s- still 13 pages of results there and uh, probably a, a few more next week to come as well uh, before we uh, before we can put our feet up as it were and lots of lots there that uh, both Simon and the company's team have uh, have covered. A stock dream for Algie Hall. A sector focus on the logistics space. Lots in the personal finance and funds section uh, that they'll be talking about on their podcast, which I think they record uh, tomorrow, given the, uh, the the short week. All the usual comment, including uh, a final look at the GKN takeover before that gets decided uh, tomorrow. I think the deadline is so after after the magazine has gone to press, but before uh, before it comes out, usefully, um, we'll, we'll know what's happened there. The government has staged a last-minute intervention, but it's it's a fascinating story uh, that Paul Jackson has looked at in his No Free Lunch column. As I say, lots more in the news section uh, worth uh, worth a look at. And, uh, yeah, thank you, James. Thank you, Megan. And, of course, thank you, Simon. And uh, we will be back again next week. Have a great Easter. Uh, in the meantime, pick up Fear the Fangs, available in all good news ages, or get on the website and subscribe. Speak soon.